Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This episode features Lewis Alexander-Baxter, who in between his LLB studies runs not one, but two non-profit organisations, the Blurred Line Group and Chit Chat. We discuss Lewis's background and his incredible journey to date, his efforts to improve mental well-being and create more discussion on the subject, as well as his thoughts on well-being within law. Let's get into it. So hi Lewis, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure, thank you. No, it's a pleasure to speak with you and I know that we've uh, spoken a few times in the past. I've had you feature on my um, Lawyers of LinkedIn blog posts and uh, it's been great to see how all of your work has been developing since that point. It feels like I blink and there's another kind of project or startup or foundering that you've done <laughs> to keep up with. And I think it's um, fantastic you've been able to balance all of this alongside all of your studies of things. But before we get too much into um, all of those endeavours, um, a nice little icebreaker question that I like to ask um, is why did you want to be involved in the legal profession in the first place? What were your motivations? And for the people who haven't met you, what's your sort of background today? Yeah, so I, I'm a law student at Durham University. Um, I have been um, enjoying the law, I suppose, for many, many years and mm -hmm. just enjoyed reading around uh, the subject. Um, but I've, I've always been quite honest, and I am always honest on, on, on interviews and when I'm, when I'm questioned about why I want to enter the legal profession. And I, I don't know yet. I think the, mm -hmm. the key thing is it's a really exciting um you know, subject to study. There's a lot of elements of the law, which is so great, which is part of our everyday life from property to criminal law, which has always in always got me interested when I was a little kid <laughs> watching like crime dramas and stuff. Oh, so yeah, yeah I, I just think it's because it's so diverse and there's so many different ways you can go into the law. That's awesome. And uh, I guess you've taken those kind of motivations um, and really kind of extended it beyond your studies to all of these groups and these projects that you've been involved in and getting started with and so I know that when we first started getting talking on through LinkedIn um, you were about to have your launch event for the Blurred Line group um, which was really exciting and to see how it's kind of grown and how it's become this huge passion project I think for you has been just really really fascinating and really inspiring um, so I guess going back to that original point right before the launch event about to kind of get the whole Blurred Line thing off the ground what was the kind of um, inspiration and the and the and the kind of mission statement, I guess, for what for wanting to put that together and to, and to put it into the public sphere. I think it's twofold, really. Um, my, my story, my background in getting involved in mental health comes from certainly a personal experience, a lived experience with mental health. So I, I suffered from depression in late 2015. And for the majority of 2016, I postponed my studies. I was doing my A-levels and it was really tough. I was in the real iron grip of depression. It wasn't a time I look back on fondly. Um, I lost a lot of weight. I lost um, all forms of you know, communication and just enjoyment from life life um, and then with this depression you know I, tr I tried to end my own life in March 2016 um, and that was almost the the bottom of, of, of what it could have been um, and from then on though I, the day after I, I spoke up I spoke up to my parents and, and got onto the road of recovery so obviously a lot of this is, is, is from personal experience but then I've actually been involved in mental health projects setting up projects in the past since being 18 probably and what I noticed is this all underwhelming lack of sort of support and mm. any sort of guidance for projects out there funding is always the big 
big one that uh, projects need to get off the ground, survive and thrive and become better and help more people. So that's what the Blurred Line Group does. That's our mission. We want to support and provide guidance to mental health projects up and down the country. So we are the UK's first funding and support hub for local mental health. And we have quite a bottom-up approach. Um, mm. There's lots of fantastic big mental health charities out there that we all know and see on, on big advertising campaigns and things like that. But what we're here to do is support the, the local small projects who um, have to spend a lot of time fundraising and shaking buckets at uh, mm-hmm. community events. That's who we're there to support. That's absolutely fantastic. And honestly, just hearing you talk about it, it's always incredibly inspiring to listen to you. And I'm sure those listening will say the same thing. Um, to take something like struggles with mental health and to turn it into you know such a positive force, I think is incredibly inspiring to people who've listened. And um, I guess it's just a sign of te- a, a show sign that you know if you overcome these problems you can turn it into such a force for good and i'm sure there'll be people who've listened to have um, been through similar episodes or who've kind of struggled with their mental health in the past who will, will see it as such a sign of strength so i guess when it came to you know taking those small steps like you say of talking to parents and, and primarily pushing this thing out into the public space um i can imagine that must have been really scary right to kind of i guess expose yourself in this way into all of the unfortunate misconceptions and stigmas that surround um you know mental health and everything like that Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's been more awareness for mental health than, than ever before. That you know, maybe even four years ago, when I was struggling with depression, mm-hmm. I don't think it was talked about too much. We had a talk from a, a leading mental health charity, and and these very old ladies came in, and no disrespect to them, they were talking <laughs> about young people's mental health issues, and I just sat there thinking, this is never going to happen to me. And mm-hmm. you know, unbeknownst to me at that time, three months later, I was standing on a bridge and and thinking about ended it all. Um, and and that's the problem. It can hit you at, at any point so I really do look back quite in quite proud of, of where I've come from and I'm really rooted in the fact that I have suffered from mental health so when I speak to projects when I speak to people who are in mental health and in in the third sector and working for non-profits I get it I get mm-hmm. it from a personal experience I get the sort of people that they are trying to help with their projects and I also get how hard it is to access funding so that for me there's there's no there's no barriers to, to communication to discuss with these people we're all on the same page and we're all trying to do a great job um, but actually trying to get it out there and and try and sell this business model of, of the blurred line group isn't easy because we're trying mm. to do things that little bit differently and trying to adopt a different strategy to most of the projects out there because as I say there, there are lots of hundreds of mental health projects and uh, across communities in the UK that do great work. We aren't in competition with those and we've got to really really pitch ourselves as that big brother or big sister that'll mm. that'll get them through the next couple of months with funding and, and guidance. Um, but yes, it does open up to scrutiny. It does open up myself to, you know, vulnerabilities, I suppose, by doing mm. this, that I speak about my story a lot and I don't forget where I've come from. Um, but I am, as I say, really proud of, of what we've all achieved with the Blurred Line Group and looking forward to the next couple of months. No, it's absolutely fantastic. And that's actually one thing I wanted to ask you about, actually, was you just talked about the idea of getting out there and kind of speaking to groups and kind of, I guess, the business side behind running that sort of um, institution. Um, what was it like? So you've obviously overcome this incredible personal journey and you've turned that vulnerability, like you say, into a huge force for strength and, and well-being. Um, but when it came to the idea, you know, having this idea to, to try and change the way that men- mental health charities are currently funded, um, what was the practical kind of reality like of trying to, I guess, spread your message and trying to meet these groups? And, and kind of taking on, I guess, the slightly entrepreneurial side to all of your efforts. 
Yeah, I mean, it's as as I say, in addition to the the, the personal experience, that's probably only five ten percent of of what I do. It it's obviously makes me a lot more invested personally into this journey, um, and I think anyone will say that when they get involved in nonprofits or a charity work, they've always got a real link to that that cause. Um, but actually, as you say, you are, we are trying to run a business. We are a CIC, a community interest company, which is run like a business, and we have to make sure that we go through all the due diligence and accountability stuff so there's a lot of stuff that you know I had to teach myself almost overnight when I went on this journey but I think it's because we know why we exist because we know what the challenge is for, for mental health projects we know there's such a great need for getting people the support they they need to overcome the mental health problems it makes our job fairly easy um, but the the real challenge is actually taking it to the next level so we, we did a first fundraising event in late 2018 we raised about ten thousand pounds to to distribute to local causes in the northwest of England um, and then now as we say we're a UK funding hub so we're having to sort of extrapolate that and become this UK UK body um, so we, we do it on a few levels we we raise and distribute funding we identify projects that are in sort of greatest need of support and we work with business businesses and trust funds and philanthropists to distribute their CSR or a pot of money that they have to really grassroots projects. Um, but as I say, I'm always learning. I've got a fantastic board of people that are advising me and giving me strategic direction myself because I don't know it all. Not I, I am probably only 10% into my journey in the, in the non-profit sort of arena. And I rely on these people to give me a, a nudge when I'm doing things wrong and steer me in the right direction. And so far, it's, it's been a fantastic journey. And I advocate for anyone that's, that's listening that um, is potentially looking to go into law, but maybe consider going into to the third sector or non-profit, because having a law degree or having any degree of, of any sort, you, you learn lots of fantastic skills that are, are applicable in the third sector. Um, so, yeah, that's just a little bit of words of, words of wisdom from my front that um, <laughs> I think that there's, there's so much to be said from having a career in the third sector. Absolutely, wise words indeed. And you know, law degrees I think can be challenging enough. And the fact that you've had to balance this entire project and grow it to a national funding hub, like you say, is uh, incredibly commendable. And I can't imagine what your calendar must look like on a week-to-week basis when it comes to managing everything. Um, but then, of course, really recently you decided to push yourself even further um, and launch Chit Chat Britain. Um, so obviously, at time of recording, um, everyone is nearly self-isolating up and down the country, and it looks like that's going to be the case for a considerable period of time. And I think with that alongside the kind of physical health concerns everyone is obviously having in light of coronavirus um, there's the mental health element of just being locked up all day essentially and being unable to see loved ones being unable to go outside a, a lot and sort of socialize um, and so I guess was that the main primary reason for you to, to found Chit Chat Britain? Yeah, I, I mean, to be blunt, absolutely. It, it was. Um, we are in this unprecedented uh, time at the moment um, for businesses trying to adapt from the, the university students and, and exams being postponed and, and stalled or changed online. We've got GCSEs and A-levels that have been completely stopped. So there's a lot of uncertainty for people, both young and old. But this brings out a lot of inequalities, in my opinion. I think that the core inequality is the fact of, of loneliness and isolation in people and 
that's from a digital from a digital point of young people being sort of withdrawn from the friends and everything's being in their own house and not be able to socialize but also old people as well who, who don't get those regular visits who aren't able to go and get the paper as much because of fear of of catching this this uh, awful virus that it that it is um so yeah chit chat britain we've got a very simple aim we want to connect the nation through conversation and we've got three ways of doing that the first thing was our phone line that we launched um two weeks ago yesterday um was the first day that went live and it's at 9 a.m till 9 p.m phone line seven days a week where our volunteers will be on call to answer calls from from people who just want to chit uh, chit chat now we aren't for uh, people who want support and, and advice and, and mental health support, but we can signpost people to those relevant services and charities. But it's been a great journey so far <laughs> um, in just over two weeks. The brand was created in 48 hours. The team have done so many hours of work to get to where we are today. And so far, we've made a small impact and we've got a lot of potential, I think, to unlock over the next uh, couple of months. No, I think that's awesome. And it's such a great message of just kind of driving support through the conversation. Um, and of course, I'm guessing in the whole launching of this whole project, everyone's working from home anyway. So I think you've had to be a kind of testament to your own principles in trying to communicate 100%. and get things off the ground. Right? It has been so fun. I mean, I just, I mean, people just think I'm mad or just like, what are you doing with, with you know, can you not just chill out for a little bit and just put your feet up? And yeah. I thought, no, absolutely not. Because I was being, I, I'm an only child. I've got a mum who's who's not very well at the moment and hasn't been for about six, seven months. So we we are in a position where we are self-isolating in, in rural Lancashire. So I feel like I wanted to do something. So it is a bit of a selfish reason, to be honest with you. Chit Chat was formed on, on my loneliness and the fact that I really struggled at the moment to, to connect with people because we can't go out and grab that coffee or grab that pint with, with our friends anymore. So it was that reason that I think there's a lot of people in, in that position and a lot of the volunteers that have come on board as well have, have really jumped on, on board, jumped on the ship of, of Chit Chat Britain and they're making a great difference but it has been a bit of a whirlwind um <laughs> to, to say the least no, i can imagine that and whilst you might say it's a selfish uh, reason to start it i think it's such a selfless cause and the fact it's going to help so many people is um is incredibly admirable um, and i did want to ask for your thoughts on this as someone who's obviously really big within um the charity space especially in the realms of mental health um in the kind of current circumstances i guess we find ourselves in i think if we'd have been talking uh, you know, the beginning of March, even I mean, it's currently just the beginning of April um, about the situation we currently find ourselves in. I think everyone would have called us barking mad if we thought that we'd all be locked up in our homes and kind of in this current state of affairs. So, I mean, I guess from a personal perspective, what's been your kind of advice or your kind of approach to managing your mental health and making sure you've got that mental well-being in these, as we say, incredibly unpredictable and kind of uncertain times we find ourselves in? I think that the core thing, the core message I've said to people on, on social media, people that have reached out to, my, to business networks, to family, friends, is just to be okay with the fact that this is a really tough time and just mm. let those emotions out, whatever they are. There's no point bottling them up because we are all in this together. And mm. I think communication and just getting off the, those thoughts and anxieties and worries off our chest is, is number one. And that links into to connectivity. The, the sole mission of, of Chit Chat is just to get people conversing, just to get people having a chat and and I've been doing that on the last over the last two or three weeks when I've been isolation I've been trying to reach out to two or three friends per day friends that I've not contacted for a couple of months so I'd been at uni with and are back in the in Switzerland or in Japan mm -hmm. wherever they are international students and that's been great so 
to keep up those real life connections. There's some great uh, online software, and I won't name any for legal reasons because there are about <laughs> yes. a million of them, but there's a lot of fantastic apps and, and virtual messaging service and video things, conference calls, things that are great to, to keep connected. So keep connected, embrace your worries and embrace these anxieties because we're all in this together. And be okay to ask for help. There's some fantastic agencies out there um, that are on call, that are very, very experienced in, in dealing with these worries. And at times like this, you know, we've been here before with the SARS pandemic, with swine flu, mm. albeit not onto this scale, you know, but it, it we are very, very well equipped to deal with this. But a few more practical tips, I think, is, is keeping uh, keeping up with that state-sanctioned exercise. I know mm. I laugh, I say to my friends, I'm off to my, for, my, for my exercise for 30 <laughs> minutes. But actually, it's really important because it gets you out the house, it, it gets those endorphins and serotonin toning levels up and you're feeling happy and ready to go on with those tasks and keeping that fresh air and keeping that sense of exercise is, is super important and also I think my final practical tip I could go on all day for practical tips to be honest with you um, but people feel like that they're just being preached to all the time <laughs> the other thing is to be okay to get in your own routine um, I'm one that loves late nights I'm not a lover of early mornings but I just try to find a routine that works for me over these last few weeks and you know what I've been extremely productive for, for, for what I want um, but yeah it, it's not easy we're all in this together and I think we, we, we will all get through this um, this weird time no, absolutely and uh, to speak to both of those points in turn I mean on the exercise front I've been trying to keep uh, myself entertained trying new things so we've had yoga in this house we've had um, all kinds of different walks and runs different routes just to try and kind of shift up the schedule like you say and try to keep things interesting and then on the point of routine I think that's stellar advice um, you know pre or post virus really and the idea that there is no real such thing as a fixed routine or golden formula for everyone and I think people are certainly get their productivity peaks at different times of day so um, I probably side with you in the sense I'm not much of a morning person I need my coffee and everything to get out of bed and to, to get on on the road but um, no, I think those are really kind of key points really um, and I guess that they really apply to students right now who like we say are kind of going through these times of uncertainty when it comes to applications when it comes to exams when it comes to trying to balance everything so from your student perspective when it comes to your law degree what's been your approach to try to uh, I guess normalize is that the right word your approach to studying and your approach to actually working from home yep so I mean just to just to caveat I, I postponed my studies a few months ago um, mm -hmm. for for, for personal reasons but I've had a lot of friends that are obviously continuing with their law degree I, I'm rejoining second year in September, in October um, but I've had a lot of people just say you know what what can I reasonably do and and I think the good the good thing is that universities are doing their best to mitigate this are, are getting um, I think they call it the no detriment policy mm -hmm. um, which is supporting students to you know look at the work that they've had over the year and ensure that they don't get a, lo a lower grade than that and I think that's a fair approach um, but I think it comes back to routine it's we're all at home everyone's in the same boat um, you know we're not able to go to the library people aren't able to get those extra one-to-one uh, -one sessions with with mm -hmm. tutors and um, so I think every there is a level playing field I think that's fairly fair um, and universities are trying to put a, a lot of things online digital resources which are great um, but I think the good thing is is I mentioned video conference you know conference calling um, I think get get into groups and and, and revise together I think that's mm -hmm. a nice way of doing it that that's not going to stop you would be doing it at the library but but why not try and, and do it um, virtually and, and keeping all those good study tips that we would adopt normally in, in normal revision periods try and keep them um, keep them on the on the surface for for this time but I think it's a tough one 
because I don't think you and I have ever seen experiences uh, or a situation <laughs> like this ever. Um, yeah. And I think everyone would say the same. There's a, there was a really great quote I read on Twitter um, the other day, which someone said, you're not working from home, you are coping from home in the midst of a pandemic. And I just think that that summarizes attitudes that we need to have, like we kind of touched on before and, you know, being okay, not to be okay and to kind of vocalize those feelings and to recognize that, you know, the struggles you are going through are being felt universally across the country and even the world, which is just boggling. Um, but I think what's been really kind of heartening to see is that in, in light of all of these kind of doom and gloom headlines that you read and all of the kind of um, struggles that everyone's going through we've still seen these incredible demonstrations of positivity and this kind of I guess British jingoism that you can only get from the UK when it comes to applauding our carers I've got friends and family who are, who are working in the NHS and to see their reaction to all of the support has been absolutely um, incredible and to see your efforts be realized with it when it comes to chit chat as well I think it's just it just goes to show that really in in times of adversity you can actually find some incredible signs of progress really and and demonstrate a real kind of movement forward absolutely i think there's two core things that i i've taken from this from a, not a personal level just a, just a, from looking at society from an objective standpoint and it's the it is the overwhelming sense of community that we've seen on a local level and um, that that community that sense of community has always been there but i think it's been bubbling under the surface for quite a few mm. years and i think that now we've started to see where everyone's had to rally together where our frontline workers and nhs staff are being applauded on the on the street which is absolutely fantastic it's magnificent to see because they do a sterling job year in year out but i think at this time when we know that there's a there's a global pandemic that is um extremely uh, worrying for for many people and extremely disruptive um it's great to see that but a, a lot of other community work as well from local charities and food banks uh, and businesses donating their time and money and expertise to help grow projects from the ground up is absolutely fantastic and the second thing is the optimism and positivity of of people that are at home so it's 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 looking at this situation and thinking you know what it could be worse or it could be a lot better but you know what I'm going to use this time for a bit of self-development or self-reflection and look at those long-term goals because three weeks ago I'll be honest our business plan for TBLG was completely eradicated overnight and and I've been on the phone to quite a lot of uh, non-profit uh, leaders and chief executives who have been my mentors over the last uh, mentors mentors um, over the last uh, few months and they were saying this is unprecedented times for charities with with uh, the likes of Oxfam and the Children's Society and Cancer Research closing all of their um, stores and, and shops, which loses about 12 or 13 million pounds of income per year. Um, it's unprecedented for, for, for even the top leaders of, in this. So, but it's great for people to self-reflect. It's great for people to think about short-term and long-term goals and be quite adaptive to this situation so I've got friends that are starting a language course uh, if, if you so wish you start a language course or do a bit of learn, learn a new instrument or learn a new skill there's a lot to be said for that but there's also a lot to be said for just sitting there and reflecting on this time yeah, absolutely. I might have to brush up on my uh, A-level German a bit. Sprechen Sie a Deutsch, I can remember. Uh, I, can, I, can, I can remember. Not much. I say hello, that's <laughs> ein, about Ambition, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's our limit. <laughs> yeah, no, I won't ever take this uh, podcast bilingual, I'll guarantee you that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so we talked a lot this episode about just you know mental well-being generally, and obviously in light of coronavirus, I don't think it's impossible not to talk about everything that's going on. Um, but I did want to catch your thoughts um, about it in the legal profession. Um, and I guess for the for a caveat for this type of conversation, we'll have to kind of assume that it's again under these kind of quote unquote normal circumstances, really. Um, and we actually discussed this topic a little bit in that lawyers of LinkedIn. Um, interview that I kind of talked about at the beginning on my blog um, and it was just really interesting I guess to hear your thoughts as a student who's still so young and uh, yet to even step foot I guess inside the legal profession to have such incredible kind of insight into um, mental well-being within the legal industry really um, but I guess you know as a, as a kind of quick question what, what do you think are kind of some of the biggest challenges or bigger biggest kind of problems that I think the industry is facing when it comes to the realms of mental well-being? I think the first thing is, is obviously, as you say, the, the caveat that we're all, uh, you know, working from home at the moment. I think there's mm-hmm. been a massive shift um, in, in how law firms are going to have to respond to this beyond um, the coronavirus outbreak with virtual work, uh, virtual working has been, uh, you know, forced upon them uh, with mm-hmm. all their, their lawyers, associates, partners having to work from home. And I think that's really important now that that lesson is, is taking forward at, at law firms and being able to be quite flexible, I think, with the staff, because sometimes mm-hmm. people don't, when I say don't want to go to work I don't mean don't want to go to work I mean you know people have mental health struggles and people have physical mm. health struggles and I think I'd love to see not just law firms but professional industries being uh, more flexible in terms mm. of how they allow their staff to work um, whether it's allowing a, a day at home to work or um, I know some law firms have like breakout spaces which is fantastic um, mm. but I think the the, the what the, the big thing is um, that there is a cultural stigma uh, surrounding mental health in law and there has mm. been for many years There has been um, this work-life balance uh, criticism and the competitive culture, and that's Mm. from from university level to to junior lawyers all the way to the the uh, profession in general. So I think the way that is combated is just um, getting a lot of speakers in and just making it a a nice open forum in law firms for for well-being. Um, But I am a skeptic of the mm-hmm. sort of well-being weeks and and desktop yoga or whatever that we see propping up in in city firms and as i say not just law firms i think that we have to have um, a real holistic approach to mental health and well-being in in law firms um and to the profession in in general so i've not really answered the question there i think there's a there's a lot of challenges to law firms in short mm. but it's not just the law profession mm, for sure and i think one of the reasons it's so hard to answer that is because for, for a start there's quite a few and also just I guess getting a full picture understanding of it across the profession across levels of seniority is extremely difficult um, I mean I, I think I read a report recently that something like 30% of those who were surveyed in America attorneys um, were struggling with some kind of alcohol or drug dependency um, in the legal profession and of course those kind of problems don't just get openly talked about in the office for all the kind of reasons of stigma and, and, and lack of support and resources like we've talked about really um, so I guess going forward and taking this coronavirus as a, as a t- potential teaching point, um, regardless of whatever the problems are, what, what do you think it would be best for law firms to, I guess, change or to have them this new approach to move away from the desktop yoga like we talked about and to, to have that real serious conversation and, and a meaningful change in the profession? I think my, my go to, I, I, as you are, you know, very interested in AI and, and tech. Mm-hmm. And I think there could be a lot, a lot to be said for, for integrating more of maybe an anonymous chat system for, for staff and, mm-hmm. and taking things where, where staff every day when they're log, logging in, uh, can, can sort of, um, remark what they're, they're feeling and their worries and things like that at the day. Um, mm-hmm. I think there needs to be a lot more transparency in the, in the legal sector and other sectors as well, um, in mm-hmm. order to just allow staff every day or, or select 
times during the day or during the week. Just say how they're feeling. Um, anonymously is always good to get the you know people to to really say what they are what they are feeling. Um, and I think, as I said, you know, desktop yoga is yes, fantastic. Mindfulness sessions are fantastic, but let's not just limit them to once a month or once every six months. Let's get a really integrative approach, holistic approach to mental health. There's lots of factors to it. So, as you mentioned, um, you know, alcohol and drugs is is a big is a big concern amongst you know most professions. Uh, you've also got. Um, uh, the other thing that I was thinking of, sort of financial issues, um, that is is a real struggle for people, especially in London that are starting out a career. So I think you've got to not look at mental health as this box. You've got to see it mm. as being linked to lots of other things, such as drugs, alcohol, financial issues. Um, and I think our experiences in law largely depend on where we come from, our ed- uh, education, our age, our background, socioeconomic factors. So we, we can't just see it as a label as mental health. Health. Let's have this full, full holistic approach to sort of countering this issue. But honestly, as as someone that's been in the industry for not not the law industry, but in in mental health for about four years now, it's it's really really tough, and it's not going to be solved overnight. Mm, absolutely, and so I guess that leads really nicely to my final question, which is: you've done all these incredible projects in the last four years. Um, what's to come in the next four? What what would you say is your kind of overarching mission statement that it is you want to achieve when it comes to these two projects and any other more that might come along in future? Some someone asked me this morning, "What did I? What do I want to do next week?" And I said, "I, I don't know what I want to do tomorrow. <laughs> Never mind next week." Um, I, I am always a flexible guy. I have, I have lots of ideas. I'd, I'd love to work in a non-profit ultimately, um, a, mm-hmm. a national non-profit. But I think you know, I would I would like a career in law. What that looks like changes every couple of weeks uh, at the moment. Um, and once I get back onto the the, the study um, in October, I think things may come a little bit clearer for me. Um, but I love my public speak and I love the, the charity work and non-profit work that I do and I hope that remains part of my career at whatever I do in the future. Absolutely and I can just tell from listening to talk to you that you know all of that passion is clearly coming through when it comes to your, you talking about all of these incredible projects you're doing and your kind of passion for making I guess mental health and mental well-being a, a real kind of factor of importance not just in law but in every industry and across the country as you say. Um, for people who are wanting to learn more about yourself and learn more about the Blurred Line group and chit chat where can people go to keep up with all your content and to engage with all your resources? Uh, well, if you want some great uh, cook, um, cookery recipes, my Instagram is always a good place to go for that. Lewis A. Okay. Baxter. Um, I just I just enjoy cooking in my, in my spare time, um, as you do. Um, I also, obviously, Chit Chat Britain is at Chit Chat Britain on our on all the socials, and uh, the Blurred Line group is is on social media as well. So um, that's always the best part. Where we are very digital, we are doing a lot on social media to try and engage with with young people and people of all ages. So that's the uh, the best place to find us. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the More From Law podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and want to support the show, please share it with your network and leave a review on the iTunes store. It's really appreciated. If you want to stay up to date on the show, follow and subscribe to the More From Law podcast on your podcast platform of choice, or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at the profile Harry Clark Law. See you in the next episode.